0: excited to be here in Daniel 4 tonight. Super excited. Lots of fun stuff. And um, yeah, just I've been so encouraged um, just by what God has shown me and I'm excited to get to share uh, tonight. So let me pray for us and we'll get started. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for what you want to do in our hearts through your word. I thank you that you desire transformation um, for the purpose of godliness, for the purpose of our joy and our peace, for the purpose of drawing others to yourself through this, this people, your people that are set apart, and they're set apart not because you don't love the others. They're set apart because um, you desire to draw all nations to yourself. And um, your people should do that. Your people should live in a way that draws others to you. Um, They should look and they should say, what is it about those people that have peace and joy and contentment? And I want some of that. And so, Father, I just pray that tonight that your word would do that in our hearts. And I pray that you would bring about the transformation that only you can. I pray that you would remove the veil and allow us to see our sin, and that you would speak to each woman individually here tonight. I pray that you would open up their eyes specifically to see what it is you want to show them for the purpose of their freedom and joy and your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, that has been my prayer for all of you, just so you know, over just the last week as I've been thinking about Daniel 4 and meditating on it and just all that God has used um, in my life to bring about just this awareness of my own sin. My prayer really has been for you that God would show you your sin that is keeping you in bondage. And tonight we're gonna talk a lot about pride. And we're not going to start there, but that's where we're headed. And I really do pray that God is opening your eyes even now to show you so that he might remove that bondage from you, that you might live a life of freedom. And that is one of the things we're going to talk about. But I just want you to know, I study, you know, chapter four in Daniel. I just, I love this book, I think I I come to love the Bible more and more. And I read it and I'm like, there's so much here, I don't even know where to begin. Like pride is just one of the many things that we could talk about in Daniel chapter four. And I love it because every time we come to it, this, you know, and you heard me say just that this word is living and active, according to Hebrews, it's a living document combined with the Holy Spirit of God, who is the agent of change in your life, those two things combined Uh, You come to the Word, and it brings something to meet you where you are today in this moment. And for everybody, that's somewhere different. And it's like every time you come to this Word, I mean, you're going to read Daniel 4 in a year or two years or whenever it is you pick back up Daniel, and you may find something totally different that God reveals to you and to your life. And that's because the Holy Spirit is alive and working and using this living word to draw you to himself. And it really is just so exciting because God just continually wants to reveal who he is to us and to reveal more about his character. And we are going to, talk some more just about God's sovereignty. When I taught in Daniel 1, we talked a lot about God's sovereignty, but we cannot, in this book, we can't get away from God's sovereignty. It is written on every chapter and every page. And so some of this may be redundant. And so it'll be a good reminder, but we're going to start with, uh, we're going to talk, we're going to have two parts, God rules. And then the second part is God's discipline. And so in the first part, it's going to be about God's sovereignty. So, but before I do that, I want to give you a quick summary because obviously we can't read through the whole chapter. And so um, I just want to go through, you know, little bit by little bit so that you kind of, in case you haven't read, which I'm sure most of you have, um, it, just to give you a summary. Okay. So, chapter four, verses one through four, this is just the king is sort of overflowing with God's greatness. He's just, um, speaking to the people and he's like, God is so good. So that's verses 1 through 4. Verses 5 through 9 is the king summoning Daniel to interpret this scary dream that he had. So he had this dream and he was terrified and he's said, go get Daniel. I need somebody to interpret this dream for me. Okay. So verses 10 through 18 is the king sharing the dream. And then verses 19 through 24 is Daniel interpreting the dream. Verses 25 through 28 is Daniel warning the king to repent. So the dream, in the dream, shares something that, hey, wow, this is something bad that's going to happen. And so he's then going to warn the king to repent. And that's in verse 25 through 28. And then 29 through 33, the dream is fulfilled. And then in the last part, verses 34 through 37, the king repents and his sanity is restored. Okay, so that's Daniel 4, and now we're going to back up and start with Daniel one, Daniel 4, 1. Okay, so we're going to read verses 1, 1 through 3, and you can read along with me if you'd like. Okay, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar to the peoples... Nations and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. And by the way, that that phrase in another translation is, may you have rest. So he says, may you prosper greatly. Verse 2, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Okay, we're going to stop there. So who is it that's telling this? King Nebuchadnezzar, right. Who wrote the book of Daniel? Daniel, right. Okay, so the king is telling this, and this is, if you read any of the commentary, you know that this is a unique section in all of Scripture, in that this is an autobiographical document that has been submitted here in the context of a book written by somebody else. So the king submitted this, and it was kind of sent throughout because he wanted the people to know this. And if you know the whole story of Daniel 4, you're like, why would he want everybody on the face of the planet to know this, right? Okay, so the king wrote this, and that tells me something. The fact that this is a special and unique thing tells me that this is something really important. Like, I wanna pay attention here. Okay, and so who is he telling this to? Everybody, okay. To the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world. I want every single person on the face of the planet to know this. Do you think this is important? Yes. He is speaking to everybody. This is important. And again, I love what he says. Whatever he's learned here, he says, to all the people, all the nations who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. May you find rest. So that's his heart. That's his heart in sharing this is may you find rest. So today we're going to focus on a couple things. Like I said before, God rules and God's discipline. And I love this because in another translation, God rules, I'm sorry. Yeah. God rules is mentioned like at least four different times in the passage and you can tell that there's a theme in scripture when something's repetitive okay so it's mentioned four times that god rules and so again this is a part of god's character that we talked about and we've been talking about daniel 1 daniel 2 daniel 3 that god rules over all the earth that he is sovereign okay and going back to the definition of god's sovereignty is that he is supreme in power unlimited in his reach. He is absolute. He is independent. He is superior. He has dominion. He has rule. He has power and he has control. Okay. So we're going to read verses, let's see, chapter four, verse three, and then we're going to read a couple others. So verse three, which we just read says, how great are his signs, How mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom, his dominion endures from generation to generation. And so his kingdom is eternal, his domain endures forever, it is from generation to generation. So what is that talking about? Can anyone guess? From generation to generation, for eternity, he has dominion. Time. God is sovereign and authoritative over time. He is outside of time. If you visualize the heavens where he is and then the earth, he is over time. He is outside of time. He is eternal. And some people say this, and I'm always like, why can't we just say he's eternal? We say from eternity past to eternity future. What does that mean? Like eternity is just from there is no beginning and there is no end. See, to, to God, God created time. He is outside of time. He is authoritative over time. He is supreme. He has dominion. He has influence. He has the power to exercise his control over every moment of your life. That is significant. He is supreme over every minute, every second of your life. He has control over all. He is on the throne for all of time. And so I ask you, is there an area of your life that you feel like God is running out of time? I have an area of my life that I think God is running out of time. I just turned 42 on Monday and I am not married. And so th- I have times when I'm like, you were on the clock here. I feel like He's running out of time. But see, God is outside of time. To Him, a day is like a thousand years. Or maybe I have that backwards. A thousand years like a day, is that right? A thousand years like a day, (laughs) whatever. Um, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I don't wanna misquote scripture. Um, But but that's the thing, it's like he is over all things. He is over the time. And so that area that you feel like he's running out of time, for some of you it's children, for some of you it's um, work, relationships, You know, I don't know what it is for you. But I do know that he is sovereign over that. His dominion, influence, and power exist for every moment that ever was or is to come. He is not late in accomplishing his purpose or his will. And there is no moment in your life that has snuck by him. No moment. Don't you sometimes think, "Ah, I wonder, where was he in that? He must have missed that. No. That's not who he is. That's not who his character is. Okay, verse 17 and 25 The decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High, and here's the word, is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of men. In verse 25, it says really the same thing. You will be driven away from the people and will live like animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by you for for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Okay, so God is sovereign over time, and he is sovereign over kingdoms and the kingdoms of men. And so, as I thought about that, what does that mean? It means that he has authority and power on earth, and he gives them to whomever he pleases. It means that he always had and continues to have authority over kingdoms. Remember in Daniel 1, this whole thing started out with the fact that God actually delivered the, his people into the kingdom of the enemy, right? That's, why, that's the whole setting of the book of Daniel. He has authority over these kingdoms, okay? So he had authority over Babylon, he has dominion and rule over the kingdoms in Africa, even now. He has authority over the leaders of our country, the leaders of our church, the leaders of your home, if you're married, and even authority over the little kingdoms that you create for yourself, the little um, things that we want to control. He has authority and dominion even over those. And he isn't surprised by what's happening in any of those. Nothing that happens is a surprise to him. And in verse 35, it says, All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? And I I love the king's acknowledgement here. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? So in this one, God is sovereign over the heavens and the people of the earth. He reigns over all the people of the earth. And I love it. King Nebuchadnezzar finally takes his rightful place. After he's disciplined, he takes his rightful place. And he says, God has the right to do whatever he pleases with whomever, we don't get to say, I don't get to control, I don't get to be authoritative over these things. God is sovereign over them. He has authority and dominion and rule over people, over me and over you. And the bottom line here is that his dominion and authority is over all the people of the earth, all the authorities, for all of time. His dominion lasts forever. He is supreme over your marriage, your family, your children, your finances, your lack of children, your sick children, your sick spouse, your singleness, the pain of your childhood, and every detail of your life. That is powerful. That is who this book is about. The God that you can trust, he reigns over you He is able to influence everything in your life. And if that's the truth, shouldn't we prosper greatly? Shouldn't we rest? Shouldn't you be able to go, oh my gosh, what a relief to know I don't have to control this? What a relief to know I don't have to manage finding a husband? And I don't have to manage the fact that maybe I'm moving out of childbearing years. I don't have to manage that. And you don't have to manage the things in your life. You don't have to control them. Your job is to submit to Him. And what I mean by that is to depend upon Him. To turn to him, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have pain and struggle, but it means what are you going to do in that? Are you going to fret and worry? Are you going to turn and go, Lord, help me. Help me trust you. Comfort me. Be to me who you say you want to be. Are you going to let him be that to you? Are you going to take manners into your own hands in an effort to accomplish what your will is for your life? So, what area of your life do you still say, I rule? What is that? What timing are you trying to exert your control over? What kingdom are you trying to manage? And what people do you think you rule over? And will you trust him? Will you entrust yourself to him and the one who is in control and sovereign and rules and reigns forever? Okay, part two God's discipline. All right, verse 30. We're going to pick up right there. And King the king said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? How did y'all like that when you, when, when you read that? How did you like that? I mean, did anybody else cringe or laugh? Or I mean, he says, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as my royal residence? and my mighty power for my glory and my majesty. I mean, I I was like, oh my, please. Look at all I've done by my power and my glory. And how many of you cringe? And, And so my question is, when was the last time you said something like that? Seriously, has anyone said anything like that? I mean, remotely? No, got some giggles. Okay, when is the last time you thought that? Look at all I have done. Look at everything I've done. See how I did that? See how hard I was working? See how I put that together? See the kingdom that I built? By my ability, my talents, my glory, all that I am. I mean when's the last time you thought that? I sure wish someone would notice my glory and how great and wonderful I am. When's the last time you thought that? And the truth is, what, it hasn't been long enough for me, I've had many of those thoughts, and, and the question here is really, I feel like what the whole chapter is about, what is pride? What is that? What does that look like? And as I wrestle with that and thought about that, pride is a lot of things, and it shows up in a lot of ways. And this is really where God has, I want to say beating me down. That sounds bad. That is the area that God has been working on me unbeknownst to me. I didn't realize that I had a pride problem. And as I thought about defining pride, so I thought of several things. The first is me thinking that I know better than God. That's pride. So when God convicts me and I feel like I need to go to somebody and apologize or humble myself and I'm like, "I don't really want to do that." That's me thinking I know better than God. That's pride. When I'm tempted to do something that God says in his word and is laid out clearly, this is not the way that I want you to go. And I say, I'm going to do that anyway. I'm going to have a sharp tone. I'm going to go out and get drunk. I'm going to go out sleeping around. I'm going to go, whatever it is, when I go down that road, that's me saying, I know better than you. That's pride. Every time you sin, that's pride. That's me saying, I know better you don't know. You sit on that throne up there, you don't know better. I know. My way is right. My way is best. I am on the throne of my life. That's pride. And this is, to me, the, the key. It's me thinking about me. Me, 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 me. Thinking about me. That is pride. When my thoughts are consumed with me, that's pride. When I am self-absorbed and selfish and self-focused and it's all about me, that's pride. I have a pride problem. Insecurity, reverse form of pride. That is still thinking about me. You come into a room and you're wondering what people are thinking about you and you feel insecure, guess what that is? Pride. I am thinking about me. I am on the throne here. Humility isn't, and you've probably heard this definition, isn't thinking less of myself like, oh, I'm so, you know, whatever. Um, It's thinking about myself less it's not thinking I'm so meek and whatever shriveled up it is thinking about me less that's humility and pride is thinking about myself more and again I tell you this I would not have said that I struggle with pride until I began to define pride And I realized that pride is all about me. It's I'm on the throne, I'm consumed with me, I'm thinking about me. My thoughts are not about you, they are about me. You know, and I even pray sometimes when I get up here, actually a lot of times, I pray that God would give me His eyes for you, His love and compassion for you, so I wouldn't be focused on me and what you think about me, or if you think this is a good message, or whatever. I pray, God, get me off the throne. I don't want this to be about me. Give me a heart that cares about them, that is concerned about them, that loves them, that wants them to know that there's freedom from the slavery of pride. Remove me from the throne, please. And sometimes that's harder to do than others. To get my focus off myself. It is hard to do. But the Lord can do that. So excessive thoughts about me, whether it is a grandiose thought about how great I think I am, or whether it is an insecure thought about how crummy I think I am, or whether it's I'm insecure about what I have on or what I look like or how much I weigh or whatever, all of that consumption is pride. It's I'm on the throne. I love this part. Verse 31 through 33 is, and I love this, there's this, here's the pride statement in verse 30, and then comes the discipline. And remember, God has warned him. And remember when we read all that stuff in Jeremiah, God warns and warns and warns and warns, please repent, please repent, please stop doing that. Please, this is gonna kill you. And if you don't, I'm going to discipline you. And guess what? the discipline came in verse 31 through 33. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what I have decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass, by the way, that's some sort of seven, probably seven years, for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about King can't say his name Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle, his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Now that is some serious discipline. I mean, that's ugly. That is ugly discipline. But God is faithful. He is faithful to discipline. He warns, and he says, please repent. And then what happens? The discipline comes. And it comes in, and just, Have you had that in your life? Has God warned you? What is he saying? Please repent. I'm begging you before you are destroyed, before I deliver you into the hands of the enemies, before I bring about discipline, please repent. What's that thing that comes to your mind? What are you holding on to? Because discipline's coming. At the same time my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. And even in that, you see God's grace that he restored to the king what he had. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I love what he is saying here. You know what he's saying? In my insanity, in the way that I thought, and the way that I lived, God, in His goodness, came in and disciplined me so that my re- my sanity could be restored. Do you see discipline that way? Do you see when God comes in and there's stuff in your life that has you wrapped up in chains and he brings about discipline, do you realize that it is to restore your sanity? To give you a right way of thinking? I read this last time and I want to read it again because I think it's crucial for an understanding of who God is and why he does what he does. Hebrews 12 Endure hardship, even hardship, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? How many of you, if you were a parent, would let your child run into the street without disciplining them? How many of you, raise your hand, if you would let your child run into the street without disciplining them? None of you. Why? Because you love them. You're desperate for them to be safe from harm. God loves you. And He is desperate for you to be freed and safe from harm. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Only. An orphan that doesn't have a parent with no one around would run out into the street without somebody stopping him. Your illegitimate children and not your sons, moreover, we had all have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? The father of your spirit. You have an earthly father and you have a father of your spirit. And he is shepherding your spirit. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines you, us, for our good. Why? So that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. I have been disciplined and it is painful. However, later on it produces a harvest of righteousness, and here's the word again, peace for those who have been trained by it. And I'm just, I'm begging you to see hardship and discipline is God loving you and trying to bring about for you hit your holiness, for your good and your joy and your peace. And I want to even just back up to, The first verse, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language you live in, all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Y'all, he is reporting to you, I want everyone in the whole face of the planet to know that I had feathers in my hair and I had bird claws. I want everyone to know of the most humiliating year, likely, year of my life. I want to publicize it. I want to send it out. I want to make, it to make the papers. I want it to be on CNN. I want everyone to know for the most humiliating moment of my life, I want you to know because the discipline of God has brought about peace and prosperity and rest. That is why he included this in here. He wants us to know that God's discipline is good. He's rejoicing in the Lord. And I love this because we, and I was just saying about humility, like he, he changed and he became humble. And guess what happened? He went from focus on I-I-I, to who was he focused on? Everyone on the face of the planet. He's focused on you, for the people of all time. I want you to know this. His focus went from himself to you, and to the peoples of the earth. And that's what the journey from pride to humility does. It takes the focus off of me, and it puts it on to God first, and others. We love others because He first loved us. There's no question. I don't love on my own. I'm a selfish, self-absorbed person, if you want to know the truth. But because God loved me and He's disciplining me, I actually care about you. And I love you. I don't even know some of you. The discipline of God results in humility, a love for God, a genuine love for others, rejoicing, holiness, joy, praising God, exalting God, restoration of a relationship with God, and the restoration of our sanity to right thinking. Do you view God's discipline that way? And I've shared just, I mean, just briefly about this, but over the last five or six years. In hindsight, I now have come to understand that God has been disciplining me. He's been disciplining me on my pride, but what I have formerly called insecurity. I would say I'm a believer who struggles with insecurity. But now I have come to understand that actually what I struggle with is pride. For me, my pride looks like and looked like in its heightened form in my community and with my friends and family and the people close around me is seeing everything that happens through the lens of me. What you did, how'd that impact me? I wonder if they know how that made me feel. They got married, this is how that made me feel, they got engaged, hmm. Someone gets engaged, married, has a baby. My thoughts go toward That's where I have lived. And that's not insecurity, that's just pride. That is me thinking about me. I had a counselor, my counselor say to me, I think you have a hard time seeing up and over your circumstances. And that took a couple of days to realize that that was a zinger. It did, I was like, I kinda thought later, I was like, huh. What What does that mean? Do you know what that means? Think you're self-absorbed. Think you're self-consumed, I think you're selfish. I think you're focused on yourself. Think you have a hard time seeing anything through the lens of anything but you. It's a good tune. I had a friend, Say to me, it's all about you, isn't it? Ouch. And you know what? She was right. You know how long that took me to let that settle in? About six months. Took six months for God to reveal to me it is all about you. And that person was probably, really probably the only person that probably could really see it in its ugliest form. And she was right. And I went back to her I said, like, "By the way, you remember when you said that? You were right. It's all about me. Will you forgive me?" I see it now. and through God's really and truly, his great kindness and discipline, through allowing a long series of hard circumstances and hard times in a season that was really hard, and him allowing that, because of that discipline, I see it. And I don't want to pretend like I'm free and I don't like everything about me, because I do. But God is increasingly freeing me from it. It's a struggle, of course. I'm sure it always will be because that's our flesh. But his discipline finally removed the veil that I was unable to see that was keeping me in bondage and slavery and lack of joy. How miserable is it to be focused on yourself all the time? Does anybody else relate to that? Am I the only one in the room who gets that? Because I leave right now. Everything was about me, and I came to realize this life is not about me. This life is about him, the Lord Christ. And I, and I think about this, and I'm like, the way of the cross is laying down your life for someone else. That is the way of the cross. It's about death to self. It's about God, it's about others. In humility, humility, thinking of myself less, love and thoughts about other people, praying for other people, caring about other people, that is the way of the cross. And this is the, God's rigged it It's also the way to freedom and joy and peace. May you prosper greatly. May you find peace. I don't think you can find peace when you are on the throne. I don't think you can find joy when you are seated on the throne. It's about his love for you, and then in turn about you taking that, loving him back, and then loving others. And a lot of our lives, I mean, I, I'm sure if some of you know me, you would not say, oh, yeah, that was so obvious. You might have said, oh, I think she serves, and da-da-da-da-da. Right? Right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding. Totally kidding. But, y'all, it's—but it's your thought life. Outwardly, we can all look the same, but what is going on in here, in your thoughts, in your mind? Am I just living outwardly to do what I'm supposed to do as a Christian? Because that looks good, or that's what I'm supposed to do, or I'm supposed to check the box? And internally, I go to serve, and all I can think about is what y'all are thinking about me? No. There is no joy in that. There's no joy in that. There's no life and a life of pride and a life consumed with self and a life where me is at the center. There's no life there. And really the truth is one of the things I really loved about this chapter is what happens here is true because I'm experiencing it in my own life not because I'm experiencing it. It's true, like, I've experienced it and I was like, this is true. Like, we, as God has continued to show me my stuff and to show me my sin and to begin to clip those chains of bondage, I want people to know that I've been an idiot, that I have been insane in the way that I've been thinking. Because I want others, if in if, if any way they struggle with the same thing, to know that there's freedom and peace and joy. I'm going to shout it from, shouting it from the mountaintops, here. And it's true. And he's like, I want everyone in all the world to know that pride, that there's no life there, that there is only life in the one true God who is over and above all things. And that he is worthy of your praise because he's good and because he loves you and he's to be exalted. And my application really for you is this, is will you receive God's discipline? Will you accept it? And I, I really, I, I want you to do this. I'm begging you to do this. Ask God to show you. Ask God to show you what you need to repent of. I've been praying, I pray today, Lord show them, reveal to them that which is keeping them in bondage. Will you repent of your pride? And then will you rejoice in your holiness and his goodness? Let's pray. Lord, you are good. Whether or not we think that or believe that, you are. Your word tells us that. Your creation tells us that. Everything about this world, minus sin and destruction, tells us that you are good, and you love us, and you have given us your word, that we might know your character, and that we might be instructed to live a life that's full of joy, not pain-free, not free from the sin that comes into our life, or someone sinning against us, or the hurt, or the pain of living in a fallen world but Lord that there is life in you and that there's life in living the way that you say is best. Father, thanks for showing me my pride. I pray that the women here that you'd show them theirs if they've got it. I pray that you would show them their sin. I pray that you would, and and here's the thing, I, I, I know that we can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. I know that it is by your spirit that you are the agent of change. Lord, that it is by your changing us and changing our desires that we're changed. So I don't mean for us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but Lord, would we submit to you and to your spirit and allow you to change us? Would you transform us for our good and for your glory that others who don't know you might desire you? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen.